Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Andrew Kelleher to the podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, James. Thank you. So, Andrew, you are the managing director for Rams Mentat in Germany. Although, super brief, we had the opportunity to meet uh, via LinkedIn and going through some of your presentations around how do we improve the adoption or implementation of maintenance and reliability programs uh, kind of brought us to this point. So, what can you tell us about yourself? My name is Andrew Kelly here. I'm an engineer, reliability engineer. Um, I've trained as a materials engineer, but spent approximately 20 years working in different aspects of reliability engineering um, with different companies, uh, uh, from everything from failure analysis to uh, risk-based inspection to also design. Um, so very much experience in all aspects of uh, reliability engineering. Uh, and now I've made myself uh, self-employed uh, because I have an idea which maybe can be very useful for uh, all process plant reliability engineers. Um, and it's my idea to develop and, and implement that concept. Um, and I think what's, what's interesting about it is that it's really focusing about tools and methods for process plant reliability engineers. Because if you look in the, if you look in the textbooks and if you look in the internet, you will see lots of information on reliability engineering in general, um, lots of stuff on FMEAs, lots of information on uh, failure modes, um, but you will not see anything specifically really helping and targeting uh, process plant engineers. Um, and so that's my background, um, and I have a, a, a concept which is interesting, and I'm now developing that a bit further. All right, excellent. Now, you know, you mentioned process plants being able to get this stuff implemented, moving, that sort of thing. What's the traditional approach to improving reliability in plants that we typically see and, you know, isn't really covered all that well? Yeah. <clears throat> well, that, that's, an, that's a good question to start with because um, when I reflect, for example, on my time in the aerospace industry, if you would ask them what their approach is, they would say we have, for instance, a, a safe life approach or we have a defect and damage tolerant approach. Um, and I was thinking, based on my experience in the process industries, what, what approach would they say they have? And would they be able to name that? I don't think there's a certain name for it. I think they have 
a whole lot of tools and methods that they apply. Um, um, a different, uh, just a big toolbox here. Yeah? They have criticality analysis as maybe a standard tool, FMEAs, um, risk-based processes, root cause, failure analysis, bad actor analyses, um, standards and practices. But that's a collection of tools, but I'm not sure that classifies to be called an approach. All right. Excellent. I agree. There's lots of tools out there. They have a little bit of FMEA, a little bit of RCA, maybe some work planning. They got all these different things going on, yep. but I don't know if they're interconnected as well as they should be. That's exactly right. There's, there's no integrated concept. There's no, there's no focal point where, you, where you'd say that is our approach and everything ties back to that. Yep. So when we look at just using all these different tools, you know, I want a little bit of this FMEA over here, maybe some RCM over here, and we start doing that. What are the limita- limitations when we have that ad hoc approach? Well, I think for me, the first limitation, the first main limitation that I recognized was probably two or three years ago when I started looking for a new job as a, as a reliability engineer. And I had some interviews with, uh, with two different companies. And one of the questions that they asked me in the interview was, how do you go about doing a criticality analysis for maintenance or for reliability engineering purposes? Um, and at this point in my career, I hadn't really had any aspect, any any exposure to criticality analysis, but it was interesting because they were asking the question as if they weren't happy with their own with their own approach. Um, and I think that for me, that describes very much the problem or the limitations with the current uh, approaches for reliability engineering is that there's lots of open questions and there's lots of um, opportunity for opportunity for discussion. Um, yeah, and lots of different ways of doing it as well. Yep, there's very few standards out there for how to do a criticality analysis. I don't know if there's yeah. even one. Well, um, well, as well as look at the there's the industry standard, the NORSOC NORSOC standard. I think it's called Z8 or Z7. I can't remember exactly the number, but you can you can freely access an older copy of this NORSOC standard for criticality analysis for maintenance purposes on the internet. Um, but I'll defy you to try and implement that. It's not it's not implementable. Okay. All right. Standard. So it's I mean it's a nice it's like most of these things like like FMEA and asset criticality analysis and and, and risk based uh, processes. Um, it sounds good as a PowerPoint solution, but once you try to actually apply it, it's very difficult. Yep, absolutely because. You know, for criticality, for example, you have all these different factors and these factors are different for different companies, different industries. Yeah. So they're looking at all these different and then their own risk tolerance may play into that. So it's not a clear cut implement this. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's right. And that that brings me back to another point is that I, I also in the last few years, I also had some experience doing criticality analyses and FMEAs also from the perspective of, of being a moderator. Um, and I think, I don't know how typical it is in industry in general, but from my experience, when a company says, we want to do criticality analysis of our plant, then the first thing they do is they bring a moderator uh, on board to help with that. Um, and, and my feeling was that initially the moderator is there to help guide the process, but now my understanding is different. My understanding is is that 
this tool is not appropriate for the job and therefore the moderator is needed. Just to make sure that something sensible comes out and just to make sure that the participants don't lose um, confidence in the process. Because without the moderator, you have basically just a whole lot of endless discussion and, and have a lot of difficulty getting, uh, getting meaningful results out. If that was not the case, um, um, you wouldn't need the moderator. So this experience for me was also, a, um, a, um, also a, a, an indication that, that maybe the existing tools are not the right tools for the job because it just brings too much discussion. It does bring a tremendous amount of discussion. Um, in my experience, you either have that discussion up front when you're developing your own internal standards, your own internal template, that sort of thing. Yep. And if you don't do that up front, then you have it, like you said, as you're going through a lot of these activities, then it's all these endless discussions on what does this actually mean? How do we actually calculate this? And so on and so forth. Yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. But having the discussion up front doesn't long on a long term doesn't help anyway. Because after five years, the engineers have changed or they need to do a review and they say, we come back and we have a look at this. And they look at the documentation from the previous work and suddenly no one can understand it. The complex uh, um, assumptions and, and boundary conditions were not uh, fully documented at that point. And so they almost start from scratch again. So, as a, so even upfront discussing all the rules, basically, in the process in detail, is not a sustainable um, method for um, making improvements. Yep. So with that being said, we have all these tools, we got problems with the tools, problem with the implementation. What is the alternative or how do we go about overcoming all these issues and gaps that we see? Yeah, well, it's a question of what is the right tool for the job? And at that point, we have to sit back and say, well, what is the nature of the job? And based on this nature of the job, what would be the right tool for the job? Um, and essentially what we're talking about, we're talking about decision-making. We have a system, a running system. Um, maybe you've got supply chains, you've got tank levels. Tanks are also a form of liquid reliability. We have assets, um, maybe redundant configurations and standby uh, um, other types of configurations. Um, we have a system... We have to characterize our system to start with and, and understand what that is. And, and um, a good example that I heard is, um, for example, if our system was a car key, that would be a very simple system. We know its function. We know what it has to do. We know what happens when it fails. It's a very simple system. A more complicated system, for example, is a car. It has lots of components, but we also know what it has to do. And we also know what happens when a component in the car fails. So basically the behavior, the reliability behavior of a car, we can understand pretty well based on breaking it down into its individual um, individual components. And this ties us back to the, to the original tools, things like criticality analysis and failure modes and effects analysis. These are all great methods for the right job. And they were developed based on simple examples and also more complicated examples. And that's why these tools work pretty well in certain industries, for example, the automotive industry. But we have difficulty applying them in our much more complex systems where, where maybe consequences aren't so clear from failures or maybe where you have different consequences. If the, if the pump fails the first time, it's okay because there's a redundant pump. But if the redundant pump fails uh, as well, then you have a different, uh, a different scenario. Um, and so basically my research, I, 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 
probably two years ago, I sat back and I asked myself, yeah, how do you solve this problem? And I started doing a lot of research and found out, okay, there are different types of systems, simple systems, complex systems, complex systems um, characterized, for example, by stochastic behavior uh, and also chaotic systems. Um, and to make it short, uh, we have what we have is a complex system. We have pumps which will fail eventually. We don't know exactly when, maybe randomly, maybe on some sort of wear out uh, fashion. When we repair them, that will take a certain time. That's a stochastic repair time. If the if the redundant pump is available or not is also a question. So what we have is a, a complex system and we want to make optimal decisions in complex system, in a complex system. And what do I mean by optimal decision? We need to find a balance between um, availability, between production capacity and maintenance costs, for example. So we're always forced to try and uh, and and make an optimal decision in a complex system. And essentially, um, the right tool for the job was already in already um, was already uh, uh, discovered decades ago. Um, and the answer essentially is simulation. In order to make optimal decisions in a complex system, you need simulations because your, your solution system, which is essentially your model, has to be exactly as complex, equally as complex as your, um, as your problem system, such as the production plant. And, and this explains why we're having so much difficulty in, for example, criticality analysis with uh, is the pump redundant or is it not redundant, which are the options or the, or the different scenarios that we have here, because there are so many different scenarios that we can't bend our standard tool to get a very good outcome very easily. And therefore, we need the moderator to, to bend our tool continually um, to get a reasonable uh, outcome with the classical tools. Okay, so we need simulations to better understand the impact of our decisions to optimize those things that you mentioned, capacity, availability, costs. Now, are those simulations part of like a systems engineering package or is it kind of independent to what we're looking at? Yeah, well, I would say now this you've brought in a second concept, which is very interesting um, and also correct because on the one hand, we need simulation to make decisions, but on the other hand, we need a systems engineering approach. And what is that for me? Well, just consider that you're a, you've just been given a new job and you're a reliability engineer and you just sat down in your office and you're saying, okay, well, what is my job? And your boss says, well, look out the window there. You've got this whole plant. You need to manage this whole plant. So, so that is a, a pretty unique situation where you are having to balance your resources and you have to prioritize your resources, also your time, also money. And so a systems engineering approach for myself is balancing the resources you have to achieve the optimum result for the business. And that optimum result for the business is related to the business goals, for example, production volume and, in, and, and maintenance costs, and also maybe to an extent uh, safety if that's in your, in, your, in your task. So systems engineering is not so much looking at, of course, you look at individual pieces of equipment like pumps, but that's not your job to make the pump reliable. Your job is to optimize the, the multidimensional performance vector of the whole production plant. And that may be, for example, production volumes and uh, and maintenance costs. 
And so, and so you need an approach to, to do that and you need a tool, you need a tool to help you um, make your decisions. And simulation is the right is the right tool. We already discussed that based on a complex system. The question is how do you combine the simulation approach with a systems engineering approach? Okay. So with that being said, how do we combine those two different aspects then? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the point is, the question, the point is, if we are wanting to model our system, there are different ways we can start. We can do, for example, a top-down approach where we say we make one black box model of the whole production system based on, for example, your production loss accounting data. You know, for the last five years, how much you produced and how much, how many process production losses you had, you know, for example, which um, maintenance costs or other costs you had as well. So based on this data, if your plant's been collecting this data in a, in a, um, in a, in a fairly good fashion, you can in very small time, you can make a black box model of your entire production system, um, which will estimate your production system behavior based on your historical experiences. That's a top-down approach, and that gives you. Uh, of course, it doesn't let you make asset asset uh, decisions, but it's a basis for your f- further modeling activities. Um, and of course, you have also a bottom-up approach where you can say, okay, well, today I'm interested in a particular pump or a particular pressure pressure vessel or heat exchanger or pipe or whatever, and you can make then what I describe as a phenomenological model of that asset with its uh, failure and damage processes and its um, uh, maintenance tasks. And based on this, you can include this very small sub-model in your main model, and you can then very quickly have an estimation of what is the influence of this asset on my entire production system, and also what is the influence of each maintenance task on this asset on the outcome of my entire production system in terms of your um, objective vector, for example, production. And with this model, for example, you can ask you can ask lots of different questions, lots of different questions. For example, let's start with a few. You could say, is my tank volume big enough to cope with the um, if I want to, sorry, if I want to increase my plant and put another production street on there, can I can I live with my existing uh, my tankage volumes, or do I need an additional tankage volume as well? Um, what's the influence of, for for example, changed um, um, supply chain uh, requirements? When, for example, uh, I normally get my my sulfuric acid from one supplier, and that comes for the three days. On average delivery time, what's the consequence when I change to another supplier, and uh, and that takes five times? Uh, are my tank uh, inventory levels enough to cope with that, so that I'm not shutting the, the plant down because I don't have enough sulfuric acid? That from the one end supply chains, and down to the other end, we can say, okay, um, does it make sense to do vibration testing on redundant pumps? That's a question that lots of people have, but they can't answer on a quantitative fashion or is it sufficient just to walk past every two weeks and uh, and do a visual acoustic test which is the better use of my resources and gives me at the end of the day the best outcome in terms of my production targets this podcast is brought to you by iridicio be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook a smarter way of preventative maintenance 
This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. All right, excellent. Now, this simulation, where do we build it? Is this some super fancy Excel template? Are we using some specialized software? How do we build this this simulation? Okay. <clears throat> well, if you have any experience with simulation in a process plant environment, you may um, be familiar with certain tools. The first tool you might be familiar with is ReliaSoft uh, tool. For example, the uh, reliability block diagram model and the and the viable module. This tool is specifically designed more for mechanical and electrical components, not so much for production plants with supply chains and tankage and flows and, and things like that. So that's one type of tool that you can use for this job. But eventually you're not going to have too much success for this because it's not made for the job. Yeah? It's made for a specific job, but it's not made for your job. So you're not going to be able to work efficiently and effectively with this tool. And there are other tools on the market which you can use to try and uh, make a simulation of your production system. Um, but my experience is that they are not the right tool for the job because they're not developed specifically for your requirements. Um, and I, in the last couple of years, I had some, luckily, some very uh, good experience being able to model production systems from both top-down and, uh, and bottom-up approach using different tools. and during this time, I realized that the tools are not, um, well, basically, they're made for experts. If you find anybody in industry doing simulation of these systems, you'll pretty much find that in a big company, there are maybe one or two people that do these simulations. So they're expert tools. Normally, in order to model the scenarios which are interesting for us, you need probably you need to do programming uh, to change, to to, to program behind the scenes to make the model do what you want to do it. So, so they're, they're basically expert tools. And because you need to do programming, um, uh, my experience is you just can't work efficiently like that. Um, so they're not fit for purpose. Um, that's why I made myself self-employed because um, I said we need a tool which is the right tool for the job. Um, I have uh, some experience in 20 years doing some programming. Um, and now I've written my own tool, which is purposely designed uh, for uh, the process plant industry. Um, and so what are the main features of that tool? Well, first of all, I designed it for the needs of the business and I designed it for engineers, but not for experts. That means the model is developed just by drag and dropping um, standard objects, essentially, which I provide. And with these objects, clicking them together and joining them together and doing some simple configurations. You can basically um, build in very quickly a good estimation of your production system behavior. Um, and probably the key, the key question is that, is that we, we know, and I just said on before, I just said that your, the solution system needs to be equally as complex as the product, as the as the uh, as the problem system. Okay, that in, in, implicates to start with an, an, a really high amount of complexity. On the other hand, um, we have to recognise that we don't really know too much about our assets, um, and so we don't need to make the model as complex as one might think 
to have stochastically robust uh, outcomes. Um, so that's my approach. I have, a, I have made a tool developed specifically for the job. Um, and with this tool, I build models either top down or bottom up or a combination of, of the two, of course. All right. Excellent. Now, with this simulation tool, what type of benefits do organizations typically, can they expect with this new type of approach, you know, simulations with some systems engineering? How do, what are organizations seeing? Well, of course, it's early days yet because uh, I, I haven't been, uh, haven't been self-employed very long and don't have any, uh, any, any applications running in practice. Um, but I have some tools implement. I have some. I have some experience implementing stuff in in process plants, and I think there are two types of uh, main uh, improvements that you can expect. The first type, and that's some feedback I got from another tool, is that you can expect asset engineers to start working with renewed enthusiasm on uh, reliability improvements, because I think that they will love this tool, and I think that they will see that it is the way to proceed, and it will enable them to do things that they couldn't do before. And so that will, um, I guess, get a lot of people moving, get a lot of people working with renewed vigor on the task. Secondly, um, <clears throat> the approach, a systems engineering approach, it shows you where you need to apply your effort. And so it guides people where to start. If you're standing in front of your whole plan, you know, the first question you probably ask is, where do I start? Um, and the tool and the method will help you decide where to start and how to go about that in a systematic fashion and also to reap the benefits of that. And the, and the third point I make based on also experience is that if you apply a systems engineering approach, your task is to optimize the entire production system. And once you start optimizing the entire production system, you can make significant and measurable improvements very quickly. For example, you could improve your production uh, uh, by maybe 1% or decrease your maintenance costs by 10%. I'm just taking some numbers, but this, this, this is numbers which are, I think, uh, I think reasonable because you're optimizing the whole system and so therefore there are big benefits to be gained. At the moment you have a system which is not optimized and you've been using the wrong tools. Um, if you now start using the right tool and optimize the system, you will certainly unlock uh, a lot of um, unrealized potential. Um, and the, and the, I guess the last point that I say is, my tool is not just made for experts and it's not just made for any particular person in the reliability organization because you have different roles and different persons. You have somebody dealing with supply chains. You have somebody dealing with operational logic. You have somebody dealing with maintenance of specific assets. You have somebody else dealing with, for example, spare parts, um, spare parts management. You have another person making uh, um, um, asset strategies. All of these people can work together using the same tool and all of these people can start using this tool, instantly making better decisions. And one needs to think, what is the benefit to the organization when tomorrow the whole reliability organization suddenly starts making better decisions? And that's a potential that 
will I think will unlock a lot of uh, a lot of benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's plant capacity, whether it's in reduced maintenance cost, improved safety, um, supply chain stability even can come from all this. Yeah, and I think the supply chain stability, we should not um, underestimate the importance of this in the current times, yeah? whether that's your, your shipping or your, or your spare parts, uh, um, which are uh, now maybe the, the, the lead time is a lot longer. And with this tool, essentially, you can, you can say, okay, my, my existing performance was so, and this based on a spare parts um, time of maybe six weeks, but now the, the spare parts lead time has increased to 12 weeks. What impact does that make on our production system? And do we need to order, do we need to change our stocking policy? And that you, these questions you can ask and answer immediately. Absolutely. So where can organizations find out about this new approach, get some more information on it, that type of thing? Well, at the moment, probably the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit active on LinkedIn. Um, and I also have my website, www.rams-mentart.com. Um, and feel free, people may feel free to contact me via, um, via LinkedIn or via the contact details on my internet site. Um, at the moment, there's not too much extra uh, uh, knowledge out there. I'm still building. Um, but I'm also offering uh, or planning a seminar at the moment, a two-day seminar where I proposed to teach the basics of systems reliability engineering, um, also uh, also using my tool as a basis for that. So that would be a good a good point of any for any companies who are really interested in finding out more. All right, excellent. Now, when they move towards this approach, what type of challenges can they expect? Is there going to be an issue with data, um, finding data, cleaning data, or anything else that may come up? Of course, of course. There are lots of arguments um, and people will uh, immediately say, yeah, crap in, crap out. Um, but my experience is different. <laughs> my experience is different um, because we actually we actually have a lot of data normally. If the plant have been doing their job reasonably well, they've got some, some top high-level data, um, which they can use to develop a relatively good um, high-level model without too much effort. And when we're looking at the bottom-level level data, for example, asset data, my experience is that expert interviews work remarkably well. Your asset engineers and your maintenance engineers, they have a good idea of how often assets are likely to fail and how long it takes for these assets to, um, to be repaired. Of course, um, when you start with such an approach, and you start modeling your system, you will be requested to provide data which maybe you haven't started collecting before. And I think that's not a barrier because you can make good estimates of this data, but it's also insightful because it makes you think, oh, the important data actually we haven't been we haven't been worrying about. For example, um, inspection. How do we characterize in a simulation an inspection task? Well, it's got to have something to do with the probability of detection of the of the um, of this inspection with regard to the failure mode you're looking at, or the PF interval. These are these are very well established concepts, and everybody is aware of of them. But until now, nobody's been really being applying it. 
And so what is the PF interval for, for example, your vibration testing for, for pumps? I've seen some graphs, but I haven't seen any units on it. Yeah? And this method forces you to talk with your experts and get their, uh, their estimate of what these values are. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, going to be a very insightful lesson. It will start, start showing people that which data is meaningful to be collected and, and which data is not meaningful to be collected. Yeah, often I find organizations are data-rich, information poor. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I, um, I, I've been confronted with that an awful lot, and there's an awful lot of people that say, yeah, we just need to start collecting more data, collecting more data. Um, but then I pull off the shelf um, the Orida, Orida handbook for um, equipment reliability, and I don't know how it's got like maybe a 700 pages or something. Um, amazing data about failures of every single asset. Um, and you give that to these people and you say, well, here's your data. You've just been collecting data for 30 years. Here's your data. What are you going to do with it? And they do not have any way to apply this data. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the wrong data. It's a good start, but it's the wrong data. Yeah. All right. So with that, what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? Do they need to take a systems engineering approach? Do they need to start thinking simulation-wise? You know, what do you want them to take away from the conversation? You know, there's in English, um, in English, and I'm working in, in German now for uh, some years, so I have to <laughs> sometimes think very hard about the English proverbs. But there's an English proverb um, that says, in the land of the blind... The one, the one-eyed man is king, um, and so the, what I would like the listeners to take away is um, is just to reflect on maybe what we've said in the discussion, reflect on their own experiences, um, and choose to be the one-eyed man, because um, my research for trying to help process plants improve it was a black hole. There's no information out there. There's a lot of stuff showing about how to work in simple and complex systems, simple and complicated systems, but there's no information for complex systems, and that's our production system. And there is no approach. There's no single approach which everyone's talking about. So I think I'm onto something. I would like people just to be open, um, choose to be the one-eyed man, because with just a little bit of these insights, I think you can come a long way for your career. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Now, Andrew, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat to us today about the systems engineering approach, how we integrate simulations, those types of things. Um, you mentioned we can find you on your website, on LinkedIn, and I'll make sure to put show notes or links to all those in the show notes so people can easily find you. You mentioned the two-day seminar. Where can they find information on that? On my website, yep. It's, uh, it's all broken down on the website, yeah. All right, perfect. Now, are there any other events or activities you're participating in? And then my last favorite question is, do you have any resources you want to share with our listeners? N not just yet, not just yet. Uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not booked to appear anywhere just yet. I'm still pretty much heavily in the development phase. Although my tool is now deployment ready, um, so theoretically, if somebody says they want it, they can have it now. Um, um, 
Yeah, I have on my website, I have a couple of small podcasts, which I, which I made myself that they could listen to that explains the concepts a, a little bit more detail. Um, but apart from that, I would um, just, uh, people should not hold back to contact me. Um, all right. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us about this new approach. I'm excited to see it in in, pro, in process being used in application. Um, definitely interested in it because like we talked about earlier, there's all kinds of tools, but how do we make these tools and organize them in a way that allows us to improve system performance, which is ultimately what we're after. So definitely want to thank you for taking the time today. Yeah, you wrapped it up nicely, and it makes me think of another <laughs> another description I hear hear a lot. Yeah, how do we get the PS on? How do we get the horsepower on the street? How do we get the tires? How do we get the power down? That's the English one. How do we get the power down on the street? Because these existing tools they do not give that to us. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. But thank you very much for your time, James. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.